I'm Katie Baldock. I'm one of the producers for Deep in the Heart. I uh, am a native Texan and I currently live in Austin and have been working in film production for a little over four years now. My name is Ben Masters and I'm part of a film company called Fin and Fur Films, which is based in Texas and I direct and shoot and I uh, was the director for Deep in the Heart. Texas is a land of mystery and legend, incredibly vast and diverse. It's where the Rocky Mountains give way to the Great Plains, and where the forests of the Deep South converge with the Blackland Prairie. From the spring-fed rivers that bless the hill country to the tropical forests of the Rio Grande Valley, Texas gives life to animals found nowhere else and attracts migrations from across the hemisphere. From our headwater springs to the Gulf of Mexico, it is a land sculpted by water, where nature has selected for the most adaptable and to those willing to stake their claim. For the very first time, this film will celebrate the natural wonders of Texas. It is a story about tragedies in our past, of recoveries against all odds, and is a call to action to conserve the wildlife and wild places in our home. This is a story for all who love Texas. This is Factual America. We're brought to you by Alamo Pictures, an Austin and London-based production company making documentaries about America for international audiences. I'm your host, Matthew Sherwood. Each week I watch a hit documentary and then talk with the filmmakers and their subjects. Today we're talking about a subject close to my heart, or maybe I should say deep in the heart, as in deep of the heart of Texas, as we celebrate the diverse landscapes and remarkable wildlife of the Lone Star State. We are joined by award-winning filmmakers Ben Masters and Katie Baldock. Their new film, Deep in the Heart, is a visually stunning portrait of Texas told through the eyes of the wildlife species themselves. Narrated by Texas icon Matthew McConaughey and featuring state-of-the-art cinematography, Deep in the Heart brings to life one of the world's most diverse but possibly lesser-known set of ecosystems, at least until now. Joining us also is my podcast partner in crime, Patrick Scott Armstrong, host of the Lone Star Plate. Patrick interviews famous Texans and explores compelling Texas stories. Every so often, our worlds collide. Given my Texas roots and the overlap between documentary filmmaking and a truly compelling story about the Lone Star State, we decided to team up again. We hope you enjoy another special Factual America Lone Star Plate episode. 
Welcome to Factual America and the Lone Star Plate. Uh, before welcoming our guests, just wanted to welcome uh, Patrick Scott Armstrong, host of the Lone Star Plate, to the Factual America podcast, and say a big howdy to all Lone Star Plate listeners. Welcome for for uh, for coming and uh, listen, co- joining us for this uh, special episode. And uh, we've done this before, uh, Patrick. We had the uh, we did a one on the state of Texas versus Melissa. I don't know about you guys, but I think we've got over a hundred thousand watches on YouTube for that one. And uh, great news about Melissa Lucio um, in the last uh, few weeks. So um, um, yeah, welcome and uh, thanks for thanks for agreeing again to uh, do this joint episode. They had to twist my arm, but I said, okay, if Matt really needs me, I'll be there. Uh, no, I'm kidding. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I love doing this. Uh, this is always awesome, uh, to change it up and, uh, do something else. And you're sort of an expert in these realms with these films. So it's, it's good to let me piggyback on here. Uh, not that we don't discuss films on the podcast, but it's great to have experts, uh, per se. So yeah, I'm really looking forward to this phenomenal film. I can't wait to, uh, dive into this deep well i agree with you there and you're too kind about your comments about me but uh uh, we're being uh, i'm not being a good host because we're keeping our guests waiting so uh ben and katie uh welcome to factual america and the lone star plate how are things with you katie things are good um we uh just had our world premiere of deep in the heart on thursday and have gotten a lot of great feedback from it um and getting ready for the theatrical release of the film on june 3rd so lots of exciting things happening. Okay. And Ben, how about you? I'm just glad nobody slept through my movie the other night. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. I love it. Set the bar here, right? You're like, let me just put the bar here. We're good. Yeah, hey, yeah. Hey. Wise wise film producer once told me the the key to meeting your goals is to set low expectations. Yeah. So <laughs> Well well if 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 I can share as a, because uh, this was sort of a, a and thank thank you so much for your your flexibility. I mean, this was sort of a last minute arrangements, and uh, as a as a middle aged man with a big glass of red wine watching this late at night, I didn't fall asleep. I was I was riveted. So uh, if that's a uh, yes. if that's a you know a thumbs up uh, a backhanded compliment, obviously, uh, uh, but please take it as it's intended. Uh, just to remind our listeners, uh, we're talking about. The film is deep in the heart. Uh, as we've uh, already heard, the theatrical release is coming uh, limited, if you can describe a Texas-wide theatrical release is limited, uh, on June 3rd. Um, are there other plans for uh, theatrical releases uh, in the U.S.? Or what are we looking at in terms of streaming? How are, how are people going to be able to see this in the, uh, in the weeks and months to come? Uh, we have no other plans for theatrical release outside of Texas currently, but mm. it'll be playing in about 60 theaters across Texas. Um, so pretty widely available in Texas theaters. Um, in mid-July, we'll be streaming on Apple TV, Google oh, wow. Play, Amazon. So it will be available for audiences outside of Texas in July. Okay, that's that's excellent news. Although, and I wish I had this opportunity, I would highly recommend going to the theater because that cinematography on a 15 inch screen just doesn't do it justice i have to say so uh uh do do come if you can if you're anywhere in texas it's on the website i know all the 
I'm from San Antonio. I saw there's a bunch of Santicos theaters there that are showing it. So um, do do check it out. Um, and certainly we've got a lot of, uh, we're a UK-based podcast. We've got a lot of listeners. More than half of our viewers and listeners are US-based, and I know a decent number in Texas. So, so do check that out. Um, ben and Katie, uh, so... Most of our listeners, we're going to be releasing this in the next uh, few days, weeks, or week or so, um, uh, ahead of the uh, certainly the the, the or around the time of the uh, release, uh, the the theatrical release. But uh, Ben, maybe we start with you. What is Deep in the Heart all about? Maybe you can give us a little synopsis for our listeners. Yeah, so Deep in the Heart is a hundred-minute movie that is similar in style to planet earth in the sense that it has, you know, different wildlife sequences that build on top of each other that show off some of the most remarkable wildlife spectacles and, uh, you know, eco regions in the state of Texas. And it also weaves in the story of our society's relationship with wildlife in Texas over the past 150 years. And then, you know, the movie begins with with the great slaughter of of the bison on the plains and, you know, this horrible loss of our wildlife in Texas. And then it shows these amazing recoveries that we've had in the state, as well as, you know, some opportunities for us to do a lot better in, you know, ensuring that we conserve our amazing rivers and bays and you know, functioning ecosystems here in the state. Um, you know, I, I studied wildlife biology. So this has been a passion project and, and a real, a real dream come true to get to show off my state. I think that's a very good point. I think, um, you know, I, cause having been born and raised there, I'm aware, but I think probably for a lot of listeners, both in the U S and internationally, they think of Texas and they think of tumbleweeds and desert and things like that but it it is probably one of the most um, ecologically diverse set of ecosystems that you could imagine in in one sort of place isn't it i mean maybe you could give us a little bit more on that because it's quite amazing what we're um what you are presenting in your film you often would have to go around the globe to find these different uh different ecosystems and they're all in one state you know yeah, if you look at where Texas is positioned, and also it's just massive size. I mean, we have yeah. a little bit of the Rocky Mountains out west. We have, you know, some of the swamps and pine forests in East Texas, and then it merges with the Great Plains up north. Then we have this amazing band of hill country, you know, right there in the center with the Edwards Plateau with this awesome aquifer system that just brings life to, like, 12 different rivers that then flow down to the Gulf of Mexico into this really elaborate bay system that's protected from the Gulf that is, you know, just an incredibly rich uh, coastline. And then the southern tip of Texas has more of like a subtropical or Tomalipan thorn scrub type of ecosystem where we've got these, you know, animals like ocelots and mm. these tropical species. Um, so Texas kind of has a ton of different eco regions inside of it, but then it, it's also situated in the continent to where 
a ton of our butterflies and bats and birds mm. that go, you know, north to south during their annual migrations, they get funneled through the state because we have mountains to the west and the Gulf of Mexico to the east. Um, so yeah, it's it's a really cool spot. And you know, to be honest, I learned a lot about a lot about my home state during this production, and uh, it's been a really amazing experience. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot to, and I know we're going to be talking about all these things. Uh, you mentioned ocelots. That's one I want to talk about. And the Edwards Aquifer, uh, which is I've been hearing about since I was a, a little boy. But, uh, um, I mean, how did this idea for this film come about? You don't just, um, you know, Ben and Katie, you don't just one day say, you know what, I'm going to do a hundred minute nature film on the, you know, in the, in the, it like planet Earth or do a David Attenborough or whoever. I mean, this is uh, quite a challenging and quite an amazing film that you've, you're bringing to the screen. I mean, how did this, uh, how did the idea for this come about and how do you go about making a, a nature doc like this? Is that for, uh, Katie, he wants, Ben wants you to answer that one. You, you get all the tough questions. Well, <laughs> yes, it really... <laughs> ben was the mastermind behind it, but I, I can I can take this one. Um, really, our uh, the the inspiration for this came a lot from previous projects that we've worked on. Um, mm -hmm. One of those being the ocelots. We were filming ocelots for uh, probably a few months before we started on Deep in the Heart, and just the more we've learned about different wildlife species in Texas, different ecoregions. Um, it really brought uh, our awareness that there's there's a lot of a lot of these wildlife stories that people don't know about, and like we discussed previously, there's a lot of um, misconceptions about Texas. You know, ideas of like what Texas is that, in some cases, it's true, in some cases, it's not. Um, so we really just wanted to show what we have here and the diversity of the landscapes and the wildlife and the fragility and um and resiliency of the natural resources that we have um mm. so it's it's really just been kind of accumulation of mm. inspiration from past projects that we've worked on um the biologists that we've met the uh wildlife species we've been able to see um and just just wanted to showcase that to the rest of mm. texas well, I mean, since you brought it up, I mean, let's talk ocelots, because I seem to remember coming across a news story a few years ago where, I mean, we essentially we thought these were mythical beasts or whether they even existed anymore. Uh, you guys must, uh, uh, and that would have maybe been in my hometown paper, and I, I think uh, as you, you, you have a whole segment on them, but uh, you've got to probably have some of the, you know, they're very hard creatures, I gather, to get on film. Uh, or to track down, um, but you must, you guys must have some of the most, um, well, probably the best footage ever of ocelots, I would imagine. Uh, I mean, maybe tell us a little bit more, our viewers, listeners, what what we're talking about. We, as this this guy keeps talking about ocelots, what what are we talking about here uh, when it comes to uh, this 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 thing? This uh, it's another one of these great stories that you interweave throughout this. Uh, throughout this dock. Yeah, um, so ocelots are an endangered cat species that live in South Texas. They're uh, about 30 pounds, um, similar to 
similar looking to a jaguar or a leopard, but smaller. Um, and they're just a beautiful, beautiful cat. Um, they are pretty isolated um, as far as where they live. Uh, so there's pretty small populations. Populations that exist are um, pretty fragile. Um, but we we started trying to film ocelots um, about three years ago. And really what, what allowed us to do that is um, advanced camera trap technology. So because the cats are so elusive and there's so few of them, um, it's not like filming elk or certain bird species where you can just go out and see them. Um, they live in really dense, thick thorn scrub habitat that's um, difficult to get through. And you could be walking through this landscape and there could be an ocelot 10 feet away from you, but you wouldn't be able to see it just because it's so, it's so thick. Um, so we set out camera traps uh, that are, they're high quality cameras inside of waterproof uh, boxes essentially. And they're connected to beam brake sensors where if an animal walks through, it triggers the camera to turn on and then it starts filming. So that is what allowed us to get so much footage of ocelots in the wild. Um, and we do have the first known footage of wild ocelots in the United States. Um, and it was just, we, really we weren't, we, we thought that it was a very slim chance of getting any daytime footage of ocelots because they are typically nocturnal. Um, mm -hmm. And we were really surprised by how much we were able to see. Um, I think in a year of filming, we got over five hours of footage of ocelots just in the daytime. That's not including mm -hmm. nighttime shots. Um, wow. They really didn't seem to mind the presence of our cameras being there. And it was just really, really special to get that intimate look into how they interact with each other, how a mother interacts with her kittens and teaches the kittens how to hunt and provide for themselves. Um, so that was a really, really special opportunity for us. Hmm. Well, well, let me, let me jump in real quick here. Rome. Yeah, go uh, ahead. I, I um, uh, th this leads me to a great question. So like, I'm curious what animals you, you had, you could be the most open with filming and what, you know, what ones you had to be the most secretive with. So it sounds like Ocelot were, you know, some of the ones you had to sort of write, we got to be out of the picture here, uh, per se, no pun intended, uh, to be, get them in picture, I guess. So yeah. What, what sort of other animals were, you could just be more free with the camera, right? And some, you got to be sneaky with curious, uh, Ben so, or, 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 okay, I'm sorry. Yeah. So, so one of the things that we wanted to do is to not, is, is to show about 12 different species that were each in a different eco region in Texas. Sure. So a lot of it was figuring out kind of where to film and then to also find an animal and the behavior for that animal that represents something larger than itself. For example, the alligator gar that mm. we filmed on the Trinity yeah. river. Yeah, yeah. It's this amazing seven foot long fish. That's the size of you that lives in a river, grows to be 70 years old. And once every five years, whenever the floodwaters are just right, the females will leave the rivers and go out onto the floodplain 
deposit their eggs. And as they go, they like leave these scent trails where the males follow. So you've got these, you know, like a dozen fish the size of a human out swimming through water that's only like 10 inches deep, just this amazing behavior. And it's cool by itself, but it also speaks to the importance of healthy rivers and how, you know, those naturally occurring floods are really important for our native fish to, uh, to have their reproductive cycle. Um, so that's kind of how we decided to identify our characters. And what we decided to do was um, the bison up in the plains, because that, you know, tells us, tells us a lot about our history. And then a wonderful recovery story. Uh, we did a white-tailed deer rut sequence down in South Texas that was really rowdy. And, you know, mm. deer is this cultural phenomenon in Texas. Um, then we did the ocelots, which is, you know, the super rare animal that, that we haven't recovered, but we need to recover. And there's a lot of opportunities for us to do so. And then we tried to shine a light on some of our more elusive and crazy animals like the, uh, the blind catfish and the blind salamander, which are literally found below my feet right now in the aquifer down to like 2000 feet deep in this subterranean world in which we know very little about. And they've just adapted to these cave systems. There's enough nutrients that soaks through the soil where it's created this whole evolution of life where stuff doesn't have eyes and they just kind of creep around and eat each other uh, which is really crazy um yeah but you know they're also connected to us in a sense because they rely on the same healthy aquifers that support our springs which you know bring life to our rivers um we did a a very intense sequence on bracken cave which is the largest bat cave in the world i think we spent like 12 and a half minutes there that just showed this not only this amazing emergence as 20 million bats exit in a bat nato from a cave to go fly 100 miles and kill moths you know many hours away um but everything else that comes in and preys upon these baby bats as they learn how to fly it's a really cool sequence um yeah it's unbelievable we did a black yeah, it's rowdy, man. Uh, yeah, it's so, for it's that so amazing. <laughs> so amazing. I thought we, they should have hired you guys for Morbius, right? Because uh, yeah. those bad shots sucked in that movie. I, that's what I was thinking. <laughs> oh, they they <laughs> need to bring these guys in. No, it, honestly. And being from Texas, I'm in Dallas right now. Like, I'm a, I'm a Texan. Like, seeing, and I lived in Austin for a long time. Um, I've never seen the bats like that. That was really cool, honestly. Mm. Uh, re- quite amazing, to be honest. Yeah. yeah, it was pretty wild. The the editor and I, Sam Clatt, you know, kudos, hats off to him. We watched a lot of horror films for that sequence <laughs> to figure out how to do jump scares properly and then <laughs> how to like set up the music and make it as scary as we possibly could. Wow. And we succeeded. On the premiere night, I looked up in the front row and there was like this seven-year-old kid that like had to leave the scene. <laughs> <laughs> 
That's all. Yes, yeah, scared a kid. Oh, bam. I haven't had a chance yet, but I'm going to show it to my nine-year-old. So I'm going to see how, how I'll let you know how, how he reacts. But uh, yeah, Katie, I know I shouldn't say? be proud of that, but I no, no, I love I it. Totally I, I I love it. I love it. That's great. Then I, I think you're referring to my nephew. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. Well. Oh, <laughs> uh, sorry about that. Poor, poor uh, kid. I didn't say anything bad about him. So, no, no, no. He recovered. Timid kid from East Texas. <laughs> that's right. No, no, no. Hey, that's real. I mean, that that's a real, you know, that's like legit stuff. No CGI in that, right? Uh, th those are real bats. <laughs> Uh, no, no, like you, you're gonna jump and get scared, and you there was never a there was a trap one too. There was a trap part that got me too. That was a bit. That was honestly my biggest jump scare in the in the film. I don't know if you remember with the mm. trap one. That got me. Uh, I was already tense at that lines. moment. Yeah, yeah, I was already tense at that moment though uh, with the traps. But yeah, um, yeah, that was that was a well edited sequence. I'm really proud of that one. And, just kind of shows the reality of what these mountain lions have to live with in Texas. Uh, but to keep going through our list, we, we did a beautiful dark sky sequence out in West Texas. Um, you know, we have the darkest yes. uh, skies of any national park in the, in the United States. Um, you know, a black bear story, this amazing story of how they're, they're coming back. Um, a mountain lion story. I'm not going to give away anything there because you got to mm. go see it and see what happens, but yes. it's, it's scary. Like you said, um, we showed a story of, of hope in East Texas and how many of these forests have regrown and, you know, through those forests flow these really amazing rivers in the Eastern half of Texas that support this gigantic fish, the, the alligator gar. Um, we show a spawning sequence and then we kind of take the rivers out into the Gulf of Mexico. And along the way, we show all the life that it brings to, alligators to migrating birds redfish and then you know the movie kind of climaxes at the end or, or finishes with uh with this really beautiful coral reef that growing up here i didn't even know that we had but there's mm. a coral reef off of texas um so yeah it's a true journey across the state it has some of our most charismatic animals and it also has some of our most unknown yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and you know, we could take each one of those. So in, in trying to weave these, you know, in, in weaving all these stories together, um, I mean, sort of cut to the chase, because there's plenty to talk about. But um, what is the point, you know, what is, what's the message you are, you're trying to get across? Are you trying to reach Texans? And is this a bit of a call to action in terms of this is where we've been, this is what we have achieved to make up for some of the past wrongs and, but yet a lot more still needs to be done. Is that, is that a fair enough assessment? Yeah. Yes. I, uh, I think, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, a lot of times when looking into conservation issues, um, really all over the world, um, yeah. it's, it's easy to get really discouraged by animals that are being endangered and going extinct and ecosystems that are being impacted by human activity. Um, it's, it's easy to kind of get down and lose hope on that. But um, at the same time, these, a lot of these wildlife species and ecosystems are resilient. And when given the room mm. to 
to recover, they, they can. And in some cases, um, you know, that just means humans stepping back and allowing it to recover. We've seen that with the forest in East Texas um, by just purchasing land and allowing them to regrow. In other cases, um, such as the ocelots, that involves human interaction with um, us stepping in and, you know, taking taking measures to recover those species. Um, but regardless, there's always there's always stories of hope, and that's what what we hope to show with this film is that yes, there's there's a lot of work we have to do, and there's a lot of um, you know problems that we have to solve. But there are people and organizations that are working on doing that, and um, there's a lot there's a lot of actions that people can take, both in large and small ways, to contribute to that recovery. I mean. Um, I think we'll have, well, your website certainly has links to many of these organizations, but do you want to, um, at the risk of leaving someone out, but maybe give some more shout outs to some of these people? Because uh, um, <clears throat> how important were they in, in the making of this film? Um, a lot of the organiza- organizations and biologists were critical in the making of this film, whether it was um, donating money or giving us land access or providing information. Um, One example is, uh, again, back to the ocelots, um, the population that we filmed in South Texas is on private land. And we had access to, um, it's the East Foundation. Um, They're an incredible organization uh, that works with uh, ranchers in South Texas to um, show that you, you can have private land and ranching and still be stewards of the land uh, with benefits to wildlife. Um, So East Foundation, Cesar Clayberg Wildlife Research Institute in in South Texas, both were really critical in helping us get footage of the ocelots and just examples like that all across the state, the Nature Conservancy in West Texas, um, their property is where we filmed mountain lions, um, the San Antonio Zoo, helped mm. us with the blind catfish and blind salamanders. So every every single se- sequence that you see in the film, there are organizations and people behind that that contributed to us making that a reality and that are doing work to conserve that ecosystem or that, that species. Okay. And um, Amazing. and then how about, uh, I mean, you mentioned something financially, but, you know, this is, this is these nature docs aren't cheap to make. Um do you, how did you, how did you, uh, were, were they also involved in sort of, how did you, you know, I mean, I, I don't want to get into the business side of these, this yet or, or at all really, but the, the sort of, I mean, how did you get this, uh, how did you get backers behind this film? I mean, you know, Texas has a lot of individuals that have made a lot of money and it's also an extremely philanthropic state. I mean, almost all of our conservation work has been done mm. through private dollars. A lot of it is. And, uh, you know, we've been making wildlife movies for, for 10 years or so now. And we've just developed a network of people who think that film and, uh, and movies is money well spent whenever it comes to, you know, promoting their goals of, advancing the education of, of, of conservation and of wildlife. And uh, so we were able to apply for grants and uh, reach out to individuals and philanthropists in Texas that, that funded the film. And, you know, I think that that's something that's also kind of unique to Texas because we have, 
you know, the people that, that can fund this kind of stuff. And I'm extremely grateful for it because it's very mm-hmm. expensive. You know, yeah. we, we had uh, probably over a thousand cameraman days uh, during production and, and, you know, some high quality gear and really good uh, composers. So yeah, it was, mm-hmm. it was an expensive endeavor and it was, it was still tight on funds. And uh, I'm really hoping, really hoping the release is successful because that'll make it a little bit easier for us to make the next one. Right. Uh, but but yeah, I mean it was it was self-funded, you know, made by Texans with with Texas money. Was that how you guys uh, got uh, McConaughey involved? Yeah, that actually happened a lot easier than I had anticipated. Uh, we got to a rough cut stage. And I called his agent. I just Googled McConaughey's agent and uh, sent him. Yeah, yeah, I called him on the phone and he actually picked up. Told him about the project and he asked for some sample footage to send to Matthew. And Matthew saw it and was like, this is awesome. Like, this is just bleeding Texas. I want to be a part of this. Yes. Excellent. And he delivered a phenomenal performance. Oh, you kidding me? So good. So he really yeah. makes uh, it's a it's really an integral part of the film. Not that the visual part isn't, but his narration really uh, does add. Plus, people know, right? He is a true Texan. He loves Texas. He cares about Texas. Like it's a perfect match. Uh, mm-hmm. It really is. Yeah, he he's amazing. Uh, even a nice little dig at Oklahoma in there. Yeah, I, I saw it. I saw it. I thought, yep, perfect. There's no look. That's what we do here in Texas, right? We always. What's the best thing about Oklahoma? It's a. It's close to Texas. That's yeah. you know. That's it. So look, I get it. Uh, no, I loved it. Um, yeah, he added such a great element to it. Um, what was his? Was his narration? Um, okay, so you all already shot some stuff, brought him in afterward. Did he narrate with a finished rough cut sort of thing? That that sort of style, like, or did he help? with his narration then helped the edit somewhat if that makes sense like help direct the edit it was a dance yeah um yeah. it was it was a dance you know i did the tip narration and we actually got got to a, a soft lock a soft picture lock and mm-hmm. then um matthew came in and did his narration and what we discovered is is matthew's voice is it, it, it like almost has a melody to it where mm. he strings together a complete thought almost as one and it's very legible and it, and it has just like such an iconic beautiful voice oh, mm. yeah. whereas my tip narration kind of had these pauses and right. halts, so it was a lot you know more spread out so he delivered it and then we you know had to maneuver a couple scenes around to make it fit just right and some of the words, you know, rolled off better for him. But overall, it, you know, it worked out really well. Yeah, it's amazing. Wow. Really? Um, was he at the premiere the other night? No, he was on a shoot. It was oh. a bummer. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well, that's really, I mean, no, I agree with you. I think it's, uh, what, what a bit of inspiration. If it was always so easy to just call someone up and say, hey, <laughs> do you mind narrating this film? You know, it's... Uh, but that's, uh, um, it's, it's all I mean, about that, your message, right? And the footage, right? I think that probably had a lot to do with it. Um, you know, in your past work, I'm sure Ben and you know what you guys stand for. Um, yeah, I'm sure that had a lot to do with it. 
Yeah. yeah and it speaks to the values that that matthew has as exactly. well like yeah, he, he cares about this kind of stuff absolutely yeah. yes 100 percent. yeah i think we're gonna maybe right there we'll give a give our listeners a quick break uh, and let our sponsors say a quick hello to everyone so uh, we'll be right back with uh, ben masters and katie balduck the award-winning filmmakers behind deep in the heart limited theatrical release on june 3rd but as we heard it's going to be out on various different streaming uh, platforms in the very near future if you enjoy factual america check out the movie maker podcast that's all one word movie maker where our friends at moviemaker.com interview everyone from filmmakers just breaking in to a-listers like david fincher and edgar wright about their movie making secrets and behind the scenes tricks of the trade they go deep and let the guests speak uninterrupted to get you the most film insight. Now back to Factual America. Welcome back to Factual America and the Lone Star Plate. We're here with Ben Masters and Katie Balduck, the award-winning filmmakers behind Deep in the Heart. It's getting its release in Texas on June 3rd. Come July, you'll be able to find it on places like, uh, what, uh, I think we said Google and Apple and other streaming platforms. So um, we've been talking about this uh, amazing film. I mean, you, your vision, um, maybe you talk a little bit about the cinematography, because I think that's what's so, you know, you, you, you've made a very artful and stunning film with, with, with that. That must, uh, you've already talked about the number of hour, camera hour, man hours you had, and, you know, it's, it doesn't, doesn't happen overnight um i mean that was a that must have been a conscious decision when you were making this film that you wanted it to be something that was stunning as well as telling a telling these texas stories oh well thank you for for the compliment there um uh the director of photography skip hobby was kind of the guide of you know how many of the scenes were shot and kind of how we went into it is whenever we would go and shoot a sequence, mm. we would have an idea of what that sequence would be about. But because it's nature and it's not scripted, you don't know what you're going to get. Mm. So what we would try to do is get the critical behaviors first. And whether that was a buck fight, whether that was black bears climbing trees to mm. get, um, you know, acorns or whether that was, you know, uh, the alligator gar spawning, we went for the critical behaviors first because without the critical behaviors, there was no reason to get any of the establishing shots. Mm. So we went for the critical behaviors. Once we got them, we were like, all right, how do we then build out this story with the right light Mm. and with the right type of setting that is going to, take you into that critical behavior and then also to look at coming out of the transition as well into the next scene. So throughout the whole process, as we would shoot, we would bring the footage in, ingest it, kind of put together these rough string outs and just kind of see how the movie was playing together, which then guided a a lot of the shooting. Uh, But it was all small teams and, Mm. you know, none of us are, super experienced cinematographers we just mm. watched a ton of planet earth 2 and 
saw what other people were doing and <laughs> figured it out. Yeah. And was this all, I mean, how, how many years did this take to make? And was this most of it done over during the pandemic? Yeah, so this started in 2018 and um, we shot most of it in two years, uh, but there was kind of some pickups and stuff. Um, And we didn't shoot, you know, the entire time. Some of the shoots only took an afternoon, like the alligator gar sequence took an afternoon, whereas the mountain lion took a year. I mean, we had camera traps for a full year. Yeah. Wow. Um, Yeah, some of the Texas uh, sky shots were unbelievable, right? Like with the clouds in there. I mean, there were shots of Texas in this I've never like I've never seen captured before, but I've always known about text, right? When it's like, when you try to tell people describe a Texas sky to people, it's hard. You got to see a bunch of them and like, you know, put it together, right? Like y'all did such a great job of just showing, you know, really these unique parts of Texas, even for people that are from here, right? Like I learned things about Texas. I had no idea. And I've, you know, lived here my whole life. It's crazy. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. Really. I mean, if you've never, if you've never been out to Big Bend and seen how dark the skies are, you really don't, you don't yeah. understand it or comprehend yeah. it. I, I grew up, um, I grew up in East Texas and we have dark skies there, but I, you know, I had always heard about dark skies in Big Bend. You can see the Milky Way and yeah, you, you don't fully understand mm-hmm. it until you see it. Yes. Yes. I agree. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, it's a it's a beautiful part of Texas, uh, Marfa, that area too. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. y'all did just such a great job of capturing again parts that a lot of people go out and capture. But I don't know, just the way y'all shot it, it was a great question, Matt. Um, I've seen the river and the wall, um, and uh, you had similar. I was skipping hobby involved with that as well because that you mm-hmm. had some similar, not sim well similar. Uh, there, I mean. It was very evocative. I mean, I, I remember commenting, because uh, just so you know, back when we first got started, one of the first films we did was The River and the Wall, uh, that one of our uh, illustrious uh, sponsors uh, talked about, who's also got Texas Connections. And I remember thinking, you could actually, f- I could feel the heat coming off of one of the scenes when you're when you're filming out in West Texas. So, um, so... What's your what's your goal? You want people to come out of the theater, Texans to come out just inspired, right? To to and what can we do? Because that's I think you made a very good point, Katie, uh, and something that we, Patrick and I were discussing beforehand. And I we've as you know we've on Factual America we've had a few now of these nature docs, and um, they run the gamut. And certainly, not long ago, many nature docs were all scare, trying to scare the hell out of us, and maybe rightfully so, but. Uh, we know most people when they're when you sh- scare them and shock them like that, they basically kind of go comatose and go into a bit of state of inaction. Uh, and certainly, um, you you're of a generation now of filmmakers who are making these films that are actually saying, "Wait a minute, okay, there are challenges, obviously, but there are solutions as well, and there are things we can do." Um, and yes, sometimes we take steps forward and sometimes we take, take steps back, but, uh, on the whole, if we all get in, you know, pulled together and there are things that we can do 
whether we're part of big organizations or I think as Ben was saying in Texas, which is a very interesting point you're making that, um, you know, how much of this is done through the private sector. Um, but, uh, you know, what is, what do you want to have? What do you want this film's legacy to be? Yeah, I, I think it's a tricky balance to reach between um, highlighting the urgency for action without making people feel discouraged and, you know, mm. a, a good balance between doom and gloom and hope. Um, you know, so it, in order to highlight the urgency, like you have to, you have to show our failures and mm. our challenges and the areas where we aren't doing well and statistics on, you know, what, what could happen if we don't take action but also providing ways that we can preserve these ecosystems and wildlife species. Um, fi finding that balance is tricky sometimes, but if, if people go see this film and then walk out of the theater feeling inspired to go to the website, support organizations that are listed on the website, mm -hmm. if they feel specifically compelled to focus their efforts on helping the Gulf Coast of Texas, and then they go to the website and either donate money for an organization on the Gulf Coast, or if they go home and transform their front yard into a native garden instead, then mm. that that is that is what we hope to come out of this film. Okay, and and Ben, what's what do you think are the priorities? I mean, in terms of what we you know in. Globally, but certainly specifically Texas, what what needs to, you know, is it is it? I mean, it's probably all of the above. But is it water conservation? Because that certainly was uh, no pun intended. Running through all the most of the uh, the the different stories and vignettes, um, is it um, is it rewilding? Is it uh, what what do we need to? I mean, you know, what what would you think are the priorities in terms of? Uh, of of the you know given the you know there is an urgency here um well before i dive into the priorities i do want to acknowledge that what we did in the credits like the film ends and then hmm. right there it tells you many different ways in how to get hmm. involved like here's how you can sign your support for tpwd to begin managing mountain lions to ensure that they have a future Right in our right, state, right, like right. here's what you can do to get involved in ocelots. Here's some resources how you can transition your lawn to where it can provide habitat for these amazing migrating birds and these amazing, you know, migrating butterflies and bats. Uh, you know, we live in the most important migratory corridor in North America, and if you have you know a lawn, you can provide habitat for that stuff. And I mean, that's really cool. That's mm. better than having some stupid exotic plant that just looks pretty. Um, you can tell that to your landscaper. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and absorbs and, tons of water. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But like as a society, you know, in Texas, a lot of our endemic animals, animals that are found nowhere else, they're primarily water-based. Mm. And water is an issue that an individual can't fix an individual can do things to, mm. to reduce their use on water but at the end of the day if government doesn't 
make the decision to, you know, put the right actions to, to, to ensure that we have healthy rivers and healthy aquifers and, you know, kind of delegate those tasks out to different water conservation districts, you know, that would be the biggest shame of all because, you know, Texas rivers are absolutely integral to, to our identity. And it should be very alarming to people that just in the last 50 years, we've lost one half of our major springs in the state. And, you know, it's not like a political thing. It's not a left or a right thing. It should be something that everybody gets behind. And that was really important to us with the messaging of this film is we didn't want to alienate people. We wanted Mm -hmm. to bring all Texans together and be like, hot damn, our home is fucking rad and we should make sure to make it better. That should be your uh, that should be your tagline, I think, uh, for this Hot film. Damn. The Texas is <laughs> fucking rad. Fucking rad, yes. You'll get you'll get more wider distribution. Right there on the I think. Yeah, yeah, it needs to be. You've you've got it right there. But Katie, very you... well with our uh, our messaging about the film being family friendly. <laughs> yes, yeah. exactly. <laughs> it is. Well, you know, I mean, some. I mean, my. I, I would finally get one of my teenagers to watch, but. Uh, um, I mean, this is, you know, I think, and that's a very good point, too, because one thing I haven't done, I do, I have a family, and I do want to, and I know Patrick's got some nephews and stuff, you know, I do want to sit down and watch this with them, because I think it's a, it's a great film to, that they will really appreciate, um, especially since they haven't grown up there. But, uh, you know, this water thing's interesting, because I, I mean, I'm of an age, I'm of, when I was a little boy... All we heard about was it was absolutely verboten. You could not build on the recharge zone for the Edwards Aquifer. Lo and behold, 50 years later, there's like, I mean, as you say, the hill country is the fastest growing part of the state. There's buildings. I mean, many of the people who are going to be coming to see your film live in the recharge zone now and in and, and, and subdivisions and developments. And, uh, um, you know, is that... At the same time in the film, you mentioned that a lot of areas have now been protected. I don't know if that's through Nature Conservancy or you know, which is a great organization, or or uh, how how they've done it. But uh, you know, is this uh, is the water issue? You've mentioned it's a big one. It's what it certainly is the big part of this Texas story. But is that uh, are are there anything? Is there anything specific? Is there any legislation? Are there anything anything that's going to be happening in terms of? Uh, protecting uh, Texas's water. There's a lot of stuff that happens every single day with Texas water. And some of it's voluntary. It's not regulatory. Actually, a lot of it's voluntary. Uh, One of the organizations that is supported in the credits is Texas Water Trade. And Mm -hmm. what they do is they take a look at who has the rights to water and they figure out ways to buy those rights. And then you know, either put them back into the river or put them back into the aquifer. Mm. And whenever you take a look at something like Austin and Barton Springs pool, think about what that does to the economy and to the culture of Austin. Like if it was needed for them to raise, you know, a hundred thousand dollars to buy the water rights that were critical for that spring to flow, it would be a no brainer. Yeah. And that's what they're doing pretty much to, across the state is saying like, all right, like, you know, these water rights used to be here. Let's buy these water rights. And if that brings fresh water into the Gulf, then that's going to provide, you know, this Mm -hmm. economic benefit for recreational fishing and shrimping and Gulf coastal tourism. 
so they're just shifting these things around and working with the system that that is because it's texas you know mm. regulation is a bad word and it's just important to know the landscape that we're working with yeah. and um but yeah i mean it's I was super inspired. I mean, across the state, everywhere we went, we found landowners and a lot of private folks doing stuff as well as, as yeah. like public and private public partnerships. Yeah. It's, it's a great time to be in conservation because you can actually mm. do something and there's plenty of opportunity. Yeah. I think that's, um, uh, well, what, what struck me too was uh, we used to hear that that C word doesn't get used that much anymore in some ways. We always hear about the environment and things, but conservation is a, it's almost a sort of a 19, I mean, I don't mean in a bad way. I mean, it's kind of almost a, an old school way, but I think it's probably a good way to, to, to approach this. Uh, used to hear a lot about uh, fishermen and uh, uh, different hunters organizations and all working on, on these sort of things and trying to preserve uh uh, nature for future generations. I mean, what about farmers and ranchers? Are they, I mean, I don't want to make too much of it, but are they slowly coming on board as, as well? I know you mentioned some of the ones in South Texas uh, with regards to the ocelot, but is that, is this something, do you sense a sea, I mean, I guess what I'm getting at, do you, uh, and I'm not trying to give farmers and ranchers a bad name, believe me, but uh, do you do you sense, I think, generally, is there kind of a sea change? People are realizing that actually it is in our interest to preserve you know to ensure that we have the water that we need um i don't know if any of these springs can come back but you know to 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 have those all come back into action yeah i think so certainly um you know again we filmed across across the state and you know now we have the technology and we have the tools to where you know if, if a rancher wants to replant in native grasses they mm. can do that like we figured out how to propagate it. We figured out how to, you know, bring these, these prairies back. And I think that there's tremendous interest across the state from different private landowners who really want to take as good of care of their land as possible. And they get it. Like, you know, Texas is really, really special. And to get to own a piece of that and to steward a piece of that, the people who have that opportunity, they take a lot of pride in it. Yeah. So, Basically, what we're talking about is rewilding the state, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I think yeah. I think some stuff already has been rewilded extremely successfully. You know, yeah. if you look at white-tailed deer, you know, right, hundred was... years ago there was fewer than a hundred thousand. Today, there's five million. You look at turkeys. You look at desert bighorn sheep. You look at bison. You look at pronghorn. Yeah. There's a lot of success stories in Texas, and you know, there's obviously some some spots for improvement. You know, the ocelot, we've been dragging our feet on on doing reintroductions there, but we definitely need to get uh, some more ocelots on the landscape. Mountain lions, you know, they should be managed with some degree of regulation just so we don't lose that species from Texas. It's so important to our identity, and the current regulations are just from a, yeah. from a bygone yeah. era that yeah. need to get updated. I mean, I just think how many Texas high schools have cougars as their mascot? I mean, I think that enough should be enough to keep yeah. uh, you know to to get a change there so an interesting statistic is in the top 10 mascots in texas the panthers the lions the cougars and the wildcats yeah are in the top 10 so i mean yeah. it's that's a part of our identity and it's bullshit that somebody can go out and trap a cat and just leave it in a trap until it dies from dehydration that's crazy 
Yeah. I mean, as you say, I thought that I thought that's something we'd left behind many, many years ago. Uh, like what can restaurants and, you know, I come from the restaurant industry. Um, what can restaurants do to sort of help with this? Um, you know, what they provide right to the community creates demand, right? And that trickles down, uh, which leads to this. So has that ever been thought of, or I don't know, any plans for that? Anybody? Um, I mean, that's, that's not something we go into on the film, but, uh, really just being, being conscious on the ingredients and where the food comes from and how it's sourced and um, as far as produce, getting produce from local farmers and um, being aware of where the meat comes from and how it's raised. And um, mm. yeah, there's definitely things that the restaurant industry can do, but it's it's not something that's touched on in the film right now. But, but I, I, to, to pick up on what Katie's saying also, I think what the film does so well is, and I know like Ben was saying, I mean, well, there's things we can do as individuals and there's certain things we, you know, are beyond our abilities as individuals and we need to work as with organizations and things like on water and stuff. But what the film does so well and opens with is that it was this woman who saved the last five bison back in the 1880s or 90s, whenever that was exactly. And then basically had them, I don't know how she did it, but she she saved them. And that herd that was in Paladura Canyon, I think it's been moved. But uh, um, now we've got a, I mean, look, we're not talking 5 million as there used to be, but there at least is a herd of bison roaming free in the plains of Texas. And that started with one person, right? Um, someone who was way ahead of her time. Um, and I think there's going, there must be probably been, you're probably being, uh, well, there's limits to what you could do and being maybe even a bit bashful, but you're probably coming across examples of that all the time when you were going around Texas filming, I would imagine. Yeah. Another thing that comes to mind is in East Texas in the big thicket preserve in the 1940s, there was a lady named Geraldine Watson. And whenever she was a kid, she got to see some of the big thicket before it was all cut down. And I'm talking about all of it cut down. And then, you know, it came back as these small trees, but they weren't the same. And she just had this vision of like trying to bring back this forest that she knew in her childhood. And she, she, she dedicated her life. And she had family members, she had friends saying like, hey, you're crazy, you're off the rocker. And whenever she died, she could look back and say that she was one of the main reasons and was the force behind the Big Thicket National Preserve, which is, you know, almost a quarter million acres. It's found in East Texas and is one one of the most diverse um, preserves and was the first national preserve in the country. So you look at these different issues and these different reintroductions and rewilding and these big ideas that we take for granted, they're often started by just a handful of individuals who just won't give up on them. Yeah, absolutely. Activists. Well, and right? adding on to that, I really a big part of it too is public outreach and just sharing the word about um, the importance of conserving these resources because um, back to Geraldine Watson and what Ben was talking about her, a big part of 
her mission was public outreach in the Big Thicket region. Um, a lot of at that time, a lot of people in the area were really against um, conserving those those landscapes and um, preserving the land to bring back the forests. And so, what a, a big part of what she did was just reaching out to people in the community and expressing the importance of of preserving that. And I think that's you know that's something that anybody can do if you don't have money to donate to an organization, don't have the resources to, you know, plant an extensive native garden. Um, anybody can, can spread the word on the importance of, of conserving. Absolutely. Well, well, thank you for the, for the job you two are doing for spreading that word. I think it's, uh, um, as someone I don't, I'm not privileged to live in Texas at the moment, but I, I certainly have a lot of fond memories of, uh, going fishing and going for hikes and going trips to the Big Bend and uh, all these things. And I, I think it's uh, it, it, it captures a uh, something that I think is, like I think I said, we said at the top, I mean, um, uh, probably many people around the globe or even within the, within the U.S. or in some even within the state of Texas do not appreciate the, uh, the, the diversity and the, the various ecosystems ecosystems that uh, that this that the state has and, and and a beauty that it has uh that uh, is is very unique i would say um we've already talked about there's going to be a bit of a wider release but what are the what are the any more what are the further plans f- for this film um once you've gone you've, you've got the release in june wider release streaming on july uh it's just to continue uh spreading the word is that is that the plan yeah, we're going to keep spreading the, the word and we've broken down the film into shorter segments to, you know, okay. live as, as standalone pieces and to give to the different organizations that helped us put it together. And then each of those segments is also going to have or already has a curriculum guide so that teachers have the resources to, you know, show their kids like this is a bison. This is the history in Texas. Oh. This is how it works in that part of the region. Uh, so yeah, trying to get as much good out of the footage that we can. That's awesome! Okay. Wow, that's so cool. And and I know uh, Patrick on his uh, site. We'll do it on ours as well. We'll have uh, in the show notes. Certainly, we'll have links to the website and, and these things. So oh yeah, of course. Um, I, I've had a look around. I highly recommend everyone um, have a look at the website. And yeah, there's all these great resources, all these great organizations. Whether you uh, whether it's ocelots or Guadalupe bass or whatever it is that uh, tickles your fancy, there's there is some organization that you can uh, reach out to or support um, if you if that's something that uh, you're able to do. So I uh, do highly recommend the uh, besides watching the film, watch the film and then go to the website and uh, uh, do what you can. Um, Ben and Katie, you've been, you've collaborated on a few films now. Uh, I mean, what's what's next for you? Any what? I mean, uh, if, are you able to think ahead that far? I mean, are you still really focused on this film? But what are any new projects coming in, in the works? Well, I think we're far from far from done, uh, but we're not. <laughs> I'm not ready to really announce anything right now, but. There's yeah. stuff cooking on the back burner, and it's getting moved up to the front burner pretty soon. Maybe with Mr. McConaughey again? I bet he was like, let's do something again. We'll see. Yeah, there you go. Just there you go. That's my guess. I want to see how the first one does first. I mean, yeah. having a blue chip feature length in, the- in theaters is a really, really strange 
movie and release model. So I have no idea how it's going to do. Mm. Fingers crossed it's super successful and we can just uh, keep this going. Yeah, well, oh, yeah. well, definitely. I mean, um, I mean, you've another nature doc. I mean, I know you've done day, nature shorts, but you've also had some that were more, um, I'd say, if you say sort of adventurish type. We've mentioned the river and the wall, more character led. You know, um, do you have another uh, full length nature doc in your in you, or are you thinking moving in maybe a, a, a slightly different direction? I think we'll probably continue to do both. Uh, you know, we're coming out with a 50 minute film for PBS nature called American Ocelot this fall. Cool. Uh, but yeah, we we're scheming up some, some feature links that are, that are blue chip. Uh, I, I, I like the nature docs. It's fun. Yeah. You don't have to deal with audio. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Exactly. Exactly. But you've got, I mean, that's the other thing we haven't talked about. You've got great, uh, there's a great, there's great sound to this. Oh, the sound's amazing. Yeah, yeah. 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 Y'all did a good job of knowing when the music should come in and not. Like letting Texas be on stage and in the crowd. It was cool. It it was, y'all did a good job of that. Did, Did you notice any of the melodies in the movie? Any of the melodies in the cue? No, in the score? no, like, 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 uh, in reference to something else you mean? No, no, I didn't. Oh, no, yeah. So, we adapted, um, the Texas national anthem deep in the heart of Texas. Oh, okay, so there's a reason I had that. I had. Okay. Yeah, I was gonna say I had that tune. I had I had the Bob Wills version running around in my head for the last uh, few That's hours. That's cool. So Y'all did that. So you That's so prob- you pulled it out. You extended it. Yeah. Out. Yeah. Yeah. Re rewatch it, and you'll That's, get a new appreciation. That's so cool. There's a lot of subtlety and detail in that That's movie. That's great. That watching it a second time. Yeah. To pay special attention to the cue. That's cool. That's the Texas. Dad, that's so cool. Wow, great, great job. I gotta say real quick, my favorite shot. I, I hope I'm not spoiling anything. And it's one where the bat is stuck with the cactus, and I feel so bad for this little bat. And then you just see in the background this little snake come around, and I'm just like, no. Yeah, that's when you no, need to have the no, no, cue no. The I was like, music. no, 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 no. And that little snake's like, hey. Hey, what's going on over here? Oh, hey, little buddy. Seems like you're stuck. Like, I mean, my gosh, that was just like the craziest shot. I can't even imagine getting that, seeing that, uh, you know, oh, my God, we got this. Like, uh, what an amazing shot that was amongst many phenomenal uh, shots that were captured. But, yes. I agree. And not to spoil it either, but did you know that that was potential to happen? I mean, when you're filming that, that this happens with the the bats and the... uh, the snakes we did yeah we actually put a camera operator in the snake pit for like a month i I wouldn't want that job he had like this gas mask and he was just like getting covered in fat poop and pee for like three hours a night with the sole job of like get the snake eating the bat oh my god and yeah, he, he got it. it. That shot is just so unbelievable. The way it comes in, like out of focus in the background, right? Like if you're not really paying attention, you don't notice it right away. That's what's cool about. It. Yeah, it's yeah. it's it's yeah. representative too, right? Like it's such a it's just yeah. 
that shot was uh my favorite yeah, it's a great it's a great jump scare oh. like you don't see it coming you're like oh my god no <laughs> that was me i'm not gonna lie man i should i actually shed a few tears uh watching the film a few times um yeah, you know, my heart goes out to these animals, to be honest with you. And um, seeing some of the shots y'all captured, uh, just seeing the bear. Uh, again, I don't want to give anything away, but, you know, noticing that. that oh, yeah. That, right. Yeah. It's got three yeah. limbs. Right. It's walking around thinking. I, I already know there's a backstory. Right. You don't even need to tell me. Just that shot alone tells me, wow, this bear's had a history. And it's, man, that bear got me. I'm not going to lie. That, that bear uh, living right here with me. So these narrative, I mean, you, we, we're going to. I think we're starting to come to the end of our time together. But you, these narratives, you you know, it's, uh, I mean, if when you're filming with people, you do observational observational docs, you also don't know what you're going to get. But that's the same thing here with these animals. You, you've just got to let the cameras roll. And then once you've captured it, that's when you've, um, you've, you've got these stories, whether it's the mother ocelot or the, the bears or the, or the mountain lions. Isn't, is, is that right? Yeah, it's getting the the right behaviors and then working with what you have in the edit room in the writing because there's no reason to write the bat is yeah. struggling as <laughs> yeah. the snake comes <laughs> around and like you can see that. But yeah. so a lot of the writing it was setting up a scene hmm. that then allowed the viewer to have the necessary information that they needed for the visuals to then make sense. And mm -hmm. we tried to strip the writing down to, to as minimal as we could and mm -hmm. just let the, let the animals. And then for the emotional stuff or for like the prime emotions, uh, it, it was largely done, done musically. Um, and the yeah. score is just gorgeous. Yeah. Uh, our composer just mm -hmm. really did an amazing job. Uh, hats oh, yeah. off and shout out to the to, to him i think just a thought came to me knowing how because i know mr mcconaughey has a young family just keep this in mind to i wouldn't be surprised if one of his children thinks the coolest thing that daddy's ever done is narrating this nature doc oh. <laughs> no just i mean also it's because how the kids are you know he could have won an academy <laughs> award or whatever but the, you know kids are like wow <laughs> yeah, it is a wow. Daddy's narrating that bat wow scene. Film, for sure. <laughs> so that's funny. There you go, um, Patrick. You have anything else you want to? No, I just want to say thank y'all. Thank y'all for making this. Thank y'all for bringing attention to Texas um, and what we need to do to protect it. I love this state. I have a whole podcast dedicated to this state and highlighting great Texans that do wonderful things for this state. So. Um, uh, it's also my mission um, to help the state. So, yeah, thank you all so much for doing this and not just presenting a great message and a great f film, but it's, uh, you know, it's very entertaining as well. And again, just seeing different sides of Texas. So thank you all so much. What, what a great film. I can't wait to watch more of y'all's work and uh, yeah, see what else y'all do. Yes. Thank you. Uh, thank you so much. Well, likewise, thank you for coming on to uh, Factual America when you make your next uh well, it doesn't even have to be a feature, but when you make your next feature, let us know. We'd love to have you on again. Um, and it's been a, a thrill finally to get you on and to talk about this, uh, certainly for me personally, and I think something for our, our listeners uh, and, and viewers. You'll uh, do check out uh, Deep in the Heart. You'll find out many of you will f discover something that I've known f for a long time that uh, 
Texas is a very beautiful place uh, and just amazing countryside and wildlife. And it's uh, probably one of the lesser, uh, less publicized aspects of the state. And that shouldn't be the case. So, guys, thanks again. Um, we've been here with uh, Ben Masters and Katie Baldock, the award-winning filmmakers behind Deep in the Heart. It's a theatrical release on June 3rd. Uh, wider release uh, coming later in the year in July. Just be on the lookout for that. Google it. I'm sure you'll find it. Go to the website. I'm sure it's there as well. And just to say thank you again and um, wish you the best of luck with uh, all this and all your future projects. Thank you. Thank you guys. Have a good one. I want to give a big thanks to our special guest host, Patrick Scott Armstrong of the Lone Star Plate Podcast. Definitely check out his show, whether it be on traditional podcasting channels or YouTube. I'd like to give a shout out to Sam and Joe Graves at Intersound Audio in Eskrick, England in deepest, darkest Yorkshire. A big thanks to Nevin Apanovich, podcast manager at Alamo Pictures, who ensures we continue getting great guests onto the show. And finally, a big thanks to our listeners. As always, we love to hear from you, so please keep sending us feedback and episode ideas. You can reach out to us on YouTube, social media, or directly by going to our website, www.factualamerica.com, and clicking on the Get In Touch link. And as always, please remember to like us and share us with your friends and family, wherever you happen to listen or watch podcasts. This is Factual America, signing off. You've been listening to Factual America. This podcast is produced by Alamo Pictures, specializing in documentaries, television, and shorts about the USA for international audiences. Head on down to the show notes for more information about today's episode, our guests, and the team behind the podcast. Subscribe to our mailing list or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Alamo Pictures. Be the first to hear about new productions, festivals showing our films, and to connect with our team. Our homepage is alamopictures.co.uk.